The Torah content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Today's reading is from Seneca's letter number 63 on grief for lost friends. But first, we're going to begin with an excerpt that I read a week ago in the episode entitled Yet Another Inhuman Facet of Epictetus' Stoicism. The excerpt is from Epictetus' Enchiridion, the Handbook, Chapter 3. Epictetus writes, With respect to any of those things you find attractive or useful or have a fondness for, recall to mind what kind of thing it is, beginning with the most trifling. So, if you are fond of an earthenware pot, say, I am fond of an earthenware pot. Then you will not be upset if it gets broken. When you kiss your child or wife, say that you are kissing a human being. Then, should they die, you will not be distressed. So, I've talked many times, including in last week's episode, about how Epictetus' stoicism, uh, out of all of the stoic sages that I've read, Epictetus' stoicism uh, really pushes into the territory of what I would call, uh, you know, uh, inhumanness or uh, unrealistic standards. Okay, and this is the the key example where where you know you you should you should react to the death of a of a uh, a loved one just like you would react to the uh, the breaking of a of a of an earthenware pot, right? And uh, if a, if a pot breaks, you you knew it was breakable, so why are you upset? So too, if a human dies, you knew that they were mortal, so why should you be upset? So uh, today I found a, uh, a a good basis of comparison. Okay, this is. Uh, Seneca writing to one of his students, or writing to Lucilius about the death of one of Lucilius's friends, and I, I want to talk about the difference between the two, the two approaches to death. Okay, so we're just going to read the first part of this letter. Seneca writes, "I am very sorry to hear of your friend Flaccus's death. Still, I would not have you grieve unduly over it. I can scarcely venture to demand that you should not grieve at all, and yet I am convinced it is better that way. But who will ever be granted that strength of character unless he be a man?" already lifted far out of fortune's reach. Even he will feel a twinge of pain when a thing like this happens, but only a twinge. As for us, we can be pardoned for having given way to tears so long as they have not run down in excessive quantities and we have checked them for ourselves. When one has lost a friend, one's eyes should be neither dry nor streaming. Tears, yes, there should be, but not lamentation. Can you find the rule I am laying down a harsh one when the greatest of Greek poets has restricted to a single day, no more, a person's right to cry, in the passage where he tells us that even Niobe remembered to eat? Okay, pause here for one second. Okay, so first of all, uh, you see from here that Seneca is acknowledging that there is a level where a person will not grieve at all, okay? Uh, and he he says that that level is acquired by somebody who is, uh, what did he say? Who is... Uh, a man already lifted far out of fortune's reach, okay? So he's acknowledging that there is such a thing as like the Epictetus-type level, uh, or in what we see in Eov with Job, where when his uh, when his when all of his possessions uh, and wealth were destroyed and, and all 10 of his children were killed on one day, he said, Hashem nasan v'Hashem lakach, yishem Hashem uh, Hashem has, has given, Hashem has taken away, let the name of Hashem be blessed. And uh, all the commentators say that he sincerely felt this, uh, that he wasn't, he wasn't just saying it to, uh, you know, to trick himself or to, uh, to mislead others. So there is a level like that, but Seneca realizes that that level is not accessible by the average person, which is why he says that he says, as for us, 
we can be pardoned for having given way to tears so long as they have not run down in excessive quantities. And then he he uh, he lays out the uh, the moderation here, right? That he says, if you didn't cry at all, that would be a problem. Uh, or if you cried excessively, that would also be a problem. This is reflected in halacha. Uh, in I, I believe I've read this before. In the Rambam, in the Mishnah Torah, Sefer Shoftim, the Book of Judges, Hilchos Abel, the Laws of Mourning, uh, Chapter 13, Halacha 11. He says... A person should not be overly harsh or overly bitter, bitter with himself about uh, about the the death of uh, of his close ones. Shinemar, as it says, uh, It says in Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah twenty two ten, do not weep for a dead man and do not shake your head for him. Kolomar, what does this mean? Ramam says, yeser midai, it means excessively. Shezehu min olam, because this is the way of the world. V'hametzayr atma al olam, someone who, who afflicts himself over what is the way of the world, someone who causes himself pain, or who is pained over the way of the world, harizetipesh, that's an idiot, that's a fool. Ella, rather, ketad yase, what should he do? Shlosha lebechi, three days for crying. Shiva lahesped, seven days total for eulogizing. Shloshim yom letisporas ulashar hachamisha. And, um, and uh, 30 days total for uh, for refraining from cutting your hair and the other uh, the other practices of mourning. Uh, and then in the next halacha, the Ramam says also that he says, Komishalomis abel kemoshitzivu chachamim. Anyone who does not mourn in the manner that the, the sages prescribed, this person is cruel or indifferent. Okay, and then he uh, he explains how you should react. But I, I don't want to read that right now because uh, uh, that'll uh, uh, lead us astray from our uh, our point here. So you see from here also in halacha that on the one hand we say that there is an element of folly in someone who cries over something which is natural, like death. But we don't we don't expect a person to not cry, nor do we prescribe it. And if a person does not cry for three days, right, uh, then we say that that person is suffering from some sort of character defect, from some sort of uh, of cruelty or, or or indifference. So that's very much in line with what Seneca is saying. Okay, um, but uh, again, I, I, I'm just intrigued by the fact that that Seneca has this sort of like all or nothing approach, where either you are acting like an idiot by by crying over a broken earthenware jug or a uh, a human being who dies or you are philosophically enlightened and you're uh, and and you're 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 treating them equally the same and you're not crying at all okay where seneca has a much more realistic middle path type approach okay but then seneca says something else okay and and this is this is really why I wanted to make the episode uh, he says uh, would you like to know what lies beyond extravagant weeping and wailing? And he answers, in our tears, we are trying to find means of proving that we feel the loss. We are not being governed by our grief, but parading it. No one ever goes into mourning for the benefit merely of himself. Oh, the miserable folly of it all, that there should be an element of ostentation in grief. So this is intriguing here, okay? That that yes, he's saying that there is definitely a natural process of crying when you lose someone who is close to you or when something tragic happens. But he says that the excessive crying, the excessive weeping and wailing really comes from really trying to prove to others that we feel the loss. Okay. It's performative. And uh, I think a good example of this, let's forget about the extreme example for a second, that I think we've all seen or been maybe uh, little kids that if they they injure themselves uh, 
you know, let's say they fall and they scrape their, their, uh, or they bang their, uh, their knee and no one's around, then they'll, uh, they won't cry, uh, uh in, in an excessive way. But if they, if their mom is around, then they'll, they'll, they'll cry because they want sympathy. Okay. Or sometimes they'll even like bang themselves and then they'll, they'll run to their mom and then start crying. Okay. So it shows that even from a young age, there is a certain performative element in, in suffering. Now I'm not saying that, that the, uh, the kid is not actually suffering and Seneca, I don't think is saying that the person is not actually grieving even in the performative sense. But I think this is just something we need to be aware of that, that just like when we had the, uh, the discussion of, of the, of shooting yourself with a second arrow, that there's, there's what happens to you. And then there's the narrative that you weave that you tell yourself about it that in that that gives you an additional suffering so too when you suffer a loss there is the the feeling of the loss itself but then there is the there is a performative often unconscious performative uh, uh, aspect of it and when i say performative i don't even necessarily mean that you're trying to perform it for other people it might just be that that you know we've internalized society's values and the relative value of caring about what people think so even if you're alone in a room and you are grieving then uh then then sometimes there's a performative element there even though no one's witnessing you uh and again i'm i'm not saying that i'm i'm not saying that this is a uh, that this is um something that we should actually try to like overcome i'm saying that that the first step is really to be aware of it and certainly when you lose someone who's close to you even even someone who's not close to you even you know, any death can strike a person in a way that is unpredictable. There are lots and lots of other emotions that come about. You know, it could uh, have bring up some sort of um, uh, insecurity or fear that you have about your own impending death or the death of your loved ones. Uh, I'm not trying to reduce all of grieving to this one this one facet that Seneca talks about, but I just I just think it is interesting that we should be aware of the fact that there is a performative element in our own suffering that contributes to our own suffering, and that. Awareness of it is really the first step in in distinguishing between the 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 excess and the natural. Okay, uh, that's all I'm going to say about that for today. Oh, look, I actually succeeded in recording a shorter episode than usual. Yay. Okay, uh, that is it for today's episode. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at Matt-Schneeweiss. Sorry, at Matt-Schneeweiss. Is it a hyphen or a dash? What have I been saying the whole time? I don't even know. Just copy and paste it, I guess. And my Zell and PayPal are matchnaywise at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor a day's or a week's worth of content, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnaywas at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.